0: Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So grateful to have Kyle Myard Scott with us today. Kyle is the vice president of the Evangelical Environmental Network. He was previously the national organizer and spokesperson for the Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. He's ordained in the Christian Reformed Church in North America, and he is the author of the brand new and beautifully covered book. You will, I just love his book cover. Following Jesus in a Warming World. He comes to us today from Michigan. Welcome, Kyle.
1: Thank you, Courtney. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you so much for, for taking the time. We were bonding over both having preschoolers, and time is yes. precious. So
1: <laughs> it is. <laughs> thank
0: you. Thank you for being with us today. Kyle, um, tell us about how your book came to be first of all our world is warming what this is news to me
1: (laughs) right yeah um so my book came to be slowly over several years uh and and a lot of it was born out of conversations that i have had over the last 10 years or so that i've been doing this work at the intersection of faith church climate change uh when I was the national organizer and spokesperson with Young Evangelicals for Climate Action in uh, from 2016 to, to 2020, I had dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations with young Christians because I, I got to travel a lot. I got to go to college campuses, preach in chapel, talk in classrooms, give lectures. So I, I got to interact with young Christians a lot um, about this topic. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with young Christians who were despondent? Who were uh, who felt isolated in their concern for God's world and and what climate change and environmental destruction is doing to it? Um, who felt like they were the only ones who cared? Um, who who came from faith communities that hadn't equipped them to integrate their faith with? these kinds of urgent issues or, or teach them what their faith might have to offer to that larger conversation. Uh, and, and so over time, I just, I began to recognize what felt like a, um, a gap in the formation of an entire generation of young Christians around um, what our faith has to say about what God thinks of God's world, our responsibility toward it, the good future that God has in store for it, how we relate to it right now. Uh, and, and what was filling that gap was cynicism and nihilism and discouragement. Uh, and so I, I wanted to try to fill that vacuum in whatever small way I could with uh, hope, with joy, with scripture um, and and help these young people understand that they're not alone. Uh, that there are millions, truly, of other young Christians out there who understand that their faith not only gives them permission to be concerned about climate change and do something about it, but but might actually require it, hmm. um, and to, to give them the tools to actually do that. Um, so that's what I wanted the book to do, and um, it, it, it really came out of this this kind of pastoral place for me of recognizing um, the discouragement that's out there and and wanting to address that um, with what I think are the gifts of the church. I think the church actually has a lot to offer when it comes to the issue of climate change. Um, we just have to recover what that is.
0: Mm. I really appreciate that you don't say the world, you say God's world. Like even Mm. that small reframing, because there are so many places in scripture where it's like, it's us versus the world. And first of all, no. Um, But second of all, like God's good creation and we're called to be stewards. And the thing that I think surprised me about your book was it's a very hopeful book because Mm. there are so many books on climate change and our responsibility that are like, well, it's too late. Well, we're doomed. (laughs) Well, you know, and, and so I think those types of writings tend to drive people, Either to despair, as you mentioned, or to denialism. Like I can't yeah. face that. That's too much. It's too scary. It's too terrifying. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go there. And so, how do you thread that that middle road of hope?
1: Yes, uh, it's not always easy, to be honest. Because i I want to be hopeful. First of all, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Thank you. Um, that that is a needle I was trying to thread, um, and I I I want to be hopeful for a couple reasons because I think there's actually legitimate reasons to be hopeful. We can talk about what some of those reasons are, um, but also because we know from the social science, the psychological research that um, hope is something that is highly motivating and sustaining. So. Um, anger and, um, fear can be really powerful sparks, Mm uh, motivators for action, but they very quickly burn themselves out. Um, people cannot be sustained on fear or on guilt or shame or blame or obligation. Um, that might start somebody down a journey of action, but it's really hard to sustain that. What actually sustains people is belonging to a community Mm -hmm. of people who are taking action together Um, actions that are enhancing people's lives and and their experiences of the world. Hope is also what what sustains people. So um, it's strategic because if what we're trying to do is motivate people for long-term action – Um, They have to feel like their actions have efficacy and like there is a hopeful future that they can achieve through these actions. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also deeply biblical and scriptural, I believe, um, to to um, ground our actions to address climate change in uh, the hope that scripture holds out to us, the hope of resurrection, um the hope that we believe in impossible things and and the hope that god god has a good future in store for god's creation and that he's faithful to to accomplish his promises even and maybe especially when the headlines scream otherwise um so uh i, I wanted to land on hope and i wanted to infuse the book with hope um because i think it's faithful and it's Im- like it's strategic it's important for people to feel hope but but i it's hard because you don't want it to feel like false hope, right? You, you yes. don't want it to be like a dewy-eyed uh, hope that ignores the urgency of the situation, that that isn't clear-eyed about the challenges that we face because the challenges are immense. Um, and I, I love the the scriptural formula for hope um, held out, especially in the Psalms for us, because the, the Psalms have a ton of, of hope in them. Um, but almost always that hope is found in psalms of lament. Mm. Uh, and the the Hebrew understanding of hope is that you can't get to hope unless you move through lament first. Mm. You, you have to be honest about the circumstances in which you find yourself. You have to be honest about how that makes you feel and about the emotions that that brings up. And it's only then when you name your fear, when you name um, – your hurt and your pain and your anger and you make friends with it, <laughs> it's only then that you can move through that to hope. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that's something that the American church isn't always particularly good at is lamenting. I think we'd ra- we'd rather ignore the the pain um and the the despair and the anger <clears throat> that might be there. So um ironically, I think sometimes when you when you do encounter hope in the church in the United States, uh, around even around climate change or, or other things, um, it hasn't always moved through lament first, and mm-hmm. so it can feel hollow. Um, so what what I want to do is try to facilitate this conversation that reckons honestly with the things we're going to lose and the things we are losing, right? Mm-hmm. And that has to be lamented and mourned. Um, but then, following the formula of Scripture, moving through that lament. Not ignoring it, hmm. acknowledging it, making friends with it, and then still claiming the promises of God and hmm. and staking our claim on those as the source of our hope um, and that's not that's not always easy to do and, and um I do this for a living, and I can't always do that like i I can't always bring myself um to to be able to hold on to that hope all the time, and and that's why I think community is so important. We we can't mm-hmm. do this alone, and I don't think Christians can hope alone either. Like the the hope of the gospel is fundamentally communal, um, because it's impossible to live in this world and always hope. Um, so I need a community of belonging that can hold hope for me when I can't hope anymore, mm-hmm. and then. I can hold hope for others when they can't hope anymore. And it's it's through that community, that communal expression of hope then, um, that I think the church really has something unique to offer to the larger environmental and climate movement, to uh, everyone writ large who's living and breathing in, in a warming world. Um, if, if the church can recover um, that kind of hope, that communal hope, that has acknowledged lament, honored it, um, continues to hold on to it and moved through it to um, a Jesus-rooted hope. Um, I think that is that is something that the church has to offer that maybe no other institution or anything else can offer in this moment. And I think it's it's way too valuable for the church to... Hide under a bushel and and so mm. that's one thing that I really, really want my book to do, and I want the church to wake up to is we have this gift that the world desperately needs um, and we're not always good at understanding the gift <laughs> so so we have to do some internal work to understand what what does authentic hope actually look like in this moment, mm. and then claim it and share it
0: mm. That is profound. And, and I I think we are in an epidemic of cynicism and loneliness yep. and the church speaks to both of those things but like you mm-hmm. said it can't be this kind of saccharine like they're there everything's going to be okay it has to move through the honesty of of lament and of, of reckoning really of this is the world that we've made together and what does that right. mean and how can we work for goodness and and health and wholeness uh we a couple of Sundays ago we sang um, the hymn more love to the o Christ and it has the phrase in it um come grief and pain sweet are their messengers, sweet their refrain. And we got in the car after church and our, our oldest son was like, I have a lot of questions. What in the world was that? <laughs> and we had this wonderful conversation about how pain can actually be a good teacher. And it's yeah. in, in walking with Jesus through sorrow that we often learn more about ourselves and more about our, our world. And it's not that we welcome pain. We're not like, yay, cancer, Yeah, yay, climate change, but that it can be a, a profound teacher. And, and I love how you paired those things together. And one of the other things I so appreciated about your book was it has some real practical things that we can do ways we can start and, and, often I just feel this tidal wave of overwhelm of, yeah. you know, how does me taking out the recycling, how does me turning <laughs> the thermostat down two degrees, you know, when when I can see the hotel down the street that's overwatering its lawn, like how do <laughs> how do I make any difference? So for people who are feeling that pull toward either despair or just powerlessness,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do we start as individuals and how can we maybe help our churches to to focus on this a little bit more?
1: Such a good question and such a, such a real thing to name. Like I, I feel that too, a lot. Um, these feelings of powerlessness. So, um, three things that I would offer, um, that I think are are things that all of us can do right away to, to do something about this. Um, one is to get good at telling your own story of why climate change matters to you personally. um, We know that a majority of Americans are concerned about climate change, but a severe minority of those Americans talk about it or hear it talked about by by people who are close to them. So there's this silence that's happening, right? There's this disconnect. Most of us care. Most of us aren't talking about it. Um, And we also know that conversations in close social circles lead to the highest Increase The highest rates of increase in understanding of basic climate science and, and basic climate facts. So uh, you, whether you know it or not, are the best messenger to reach your friends, your family and your church, um, precisely because you're not an expert, but because you're you. <laughs> Um, we don't need more experts to communicate about climate change. There isn't a knowledge gap that we somehow need to bridge. There's, we're a wash in knowledge. I thought
0: I thought this was Al Gore's job, though.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. No? <laughs> no, Al Gore is not going to move your church, um, but you might, and that's really good news, in my opinion. Um, so uh, figure out why you care. What? Why? If you are feeling those feelings of dread, of cynicism, why? Like, dig into it, interrogate it. And figure out what are your motivations for caring and for, for wanting to act to address climate change and wanting your church to address climate change. Mm. If, if you're a living, breathing, eating human being on planet Earth and you love other living, breathing, eating things, creatures, humans and otherwise on planet Earth, then you have reasons to care mm. about climate change because it's something that affects all of us. Um, So whether it's your kids or uh, your nieces or nephews or your siblings or your aging parents, um, we all have reasons to care. And when we talk about those reasons with people who are close to us, um, it does something that an esoteric scientific study or, or more data and figures can't do. It puts a human face to it and it connects with people's heart because it's, it's really easy to ignore the latest UN report. Uh, it's a lot easier to ignore that than it is to ignore a living, breathing person in front of you that you know and that you have a relationship with. So um, recognize your power as a messenger for your community and claim it and leverage it. Talk about why climate change matters to you um, and, and do it often. Um, and and you can do that with your church too. Like, what are what are the things that are important to your church? Who who are you as a community? What are your values? Do you have explicit values? And then help your church leaders help folks in your church understand how climate change connects to those values. Um, How can addressing climate change by upgrading your facilities to be more energy efficient, by planting a community garden, um, through all kinds of efforts, how can that help you all live more deeply into your values that you all say are important to you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's important that we don't frame climate action as like this extra thing that already busy pastors and church folks have to add on. We can say, this is how we get better at saying at being who we say we want to be. So, so that's number one. Number two, um, we all know, like you name them, right? Composting, turning your thermostat down, hang drying your clothes, washing in cold water. We all, we all know these steps that we all can take in our everyday lives um, to to do something to better align our, our lives with living more gently on the earth. And um, I frame it in my book. I frame these actions not as kind of a laundry list of do's and don'ts, because like I said, shame and blame and guilt don't work and they're not helpful. I don't, I don't want that to even be a part of this conversation. I frame those actions as spiritual disciplines uh, because uh, Richard Foster, no less, like the father of spiritual disciplines, talks about how the spiritual disciplines are essentially those things that create the conditions for God to act in our lives mm-hmm. and for us to experience the grace of God. Um, and so when when we do these things um, like eat less meat, uh, ride our bike or the bus instead of drive, wash clothes in cold water, sow a vegetable garden in our backyard, when we do those things mindfully... Right? Not out of guilt or obligation, but when we do them mindfully, we are creating the conditions in which God's spirit can work on our hearts and form our hearts more fully after God's heart. And God's heart, scripture screams, is one that is for God's creation, that loves mm-hmm. God's creation, that is not indifferent toward his creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to think about all of those things in my life. Like last night, I had to take out the compost. It was overflowing. Like watermelon rinds were falling out on the floor. I had to pick them up. <laughs> and and it's kind of annoying sometimes. But when we can stop and reframe and just even for a split second, try to um, – Try, try to carry out that action as a spiritual discipline, as something that attunes our hearts to God's heart for God's world. I, I believe that over time, doing those things is going to create spiritual nourishment and fulfillment, and it's going to bring us joy and delight and meaning um, instead of being an obligation that we we have to do, uh, that we resent, right? Mm. Um, And then the third thing, really quickly, the third thing is we all have to advocate with our elected officials. Uh, I I call this in my book Loving Our Neighbors in Public um, because uh, policy created the conditions in which the world could warm. Like a a fossil fuel-based economy was not preordained. It's the result of intentional decisions that humans made about um, subsidizing... uh, oil and gas exploration and extraction, um, about privileging internal combustion engines over against electric vehicles for years. Like these things were intentional choices that society has made. And when you boil it all down, society is made up of us, right? And, And the people who wrote that policy and voted to enact it work for us. Our elected officials work for us. So we we need to get involved in the political process we need to be civically engaged so that we can help create the policy that's needed to bring the temperature back down again um, so there's lots of examples of, of what that looks like in the book, um, but I think fundamentally like we we need to be paying attention to what what our elected officials are doing, and we need to be communicating to them what our priorities are and saying, "Look, as a Christian." As a follower of Jesus, this matters to me, and I want it to matter to you. Um, And if millions of Christians start saying that regularly to their elected officials, boy, they're going to stand up and take notice.
0: Mm. And in the book, you connect advocacy and these small changes we can make within our houses and you connect these three action steps to discipleship, which yeah. I'm a pastor, I've been following Jesus since I was five years old. That has <laughs> never occurred to me. Like this is part of your spiritual walk. This is part of your active worship. Mm-hmm. Um, unpack that a little bit for us.
1: Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that. I love that you made that connection. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to frame this and I'm trying to frame the whole book through the lens of discipleship. Um, because it, if, If we're following a Jesus who inaugurated his ministry by quoting Isaiah, right, and saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed and the prisoner, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor, um, he could have chosen any number of passages, right, to, to serve as the mission statement for his ministry, and he chose that one centering the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, and essentially saying, if my ministry on earth of ushering in experiences of the kingdom of God, proclaiming the imminence of the kingdom of God, if my ministry is not good news for those people, then I will have failed. Mm. Uh, and and I think by extension, we can say, if our ministry on earth here. Um, does not result in things that are good for people that society has pressed down and pushed to the margins, um, then we might be failing. And and I think climate change is a really good example of that, that um, we are doing ministry in a world that is warming, and it's not warming in a universal way, right? Climate change presses on people in different places in different ways. And I, I talk about this in the book, but it's it's very clear that it is those who have contributed least to the problem of climate change and who have the fewest resources to adapt to its impacts that are already suffering and that are going to consider are going to continue suffering the most. Um, these are the people that Jesus centered in his ministry. These are the poor. These are the oppressed. These are um, the people that Jesus said his ministry. Um, came to set free and so if if we're trying to do ministry in jesus name and follow his example and we're living in a world um, that is creating these conditions for exactly the people that jesus said his ministry was for um i don't know how to be a christian (laughs) in a warming world without doing something about climate change and i think you can you can extend that to lots of other justice issues too like um we, we can't just check out from, from these things because Jesus didn't check out of these things. We can't just look at our neighbors and and hear them tell us how climate change is killing them and say, I'm so sorry, keep warm and well-fed. Um, like, look to heaven, your reward is coming. Because Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come upon beggars and, and blind folks and lame folks and say, your reward is coming, hang on. No, he said, pick up your mat and walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was impatient for the kingdom of God and Mm -hmm. everywhere Jesus went, the kingdom of God followed. Um, And so I don't know what it means to bring good news unless the good news we're bringing results in things that are good for Mm -hmm. people who are poor and oppressed now here and now, because that's, that's what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I don't mean that like, uh, climate action is part of proclaiming the good news as a platitude. I, I mean, it means like stomachs fed and bills paid. It mm-hmm. means things that are actually good for people um, who are suffering the most from the impacts of climate change right now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know how to follow Jesus <laughs> without, um, without addressing climate change and doing what I can to, to try to bring good news to the people who are harmed most mm-hmm. by the effects of climate change.
0: It goes back to the biblical question of who is my neighbor? Yes. Your, your neighbor is everyone in Bangladesh. Your neighbor mm-hmm. is everyone in Guatemala. Your neighbor that's is right. everyone down the street from you, but also the the world is our neighbor. And and that's yeah. a really powerful reminder. I, I hang out with a lot of birders, some of whom are atheists <laughs> and agnostic. And, and there's always this like, oh, you're a Christian and you seem to care about the environment. Like that's unusual. And, yeah. and that just breaks my heart because yes. I do think we have a reputation for, we're all gonna fly away to heaven so it doesn't matter. And it's so encouraging to hear the story of the work that you do and your book in the world, but also that there are there are millions of Christians, um, especially in younger generations, who are saying, mm-hmm. hey, wake up. We have a responsibility. We have a gospel call to do what we can, um, to, I love how you phrased it to, to live more gently on the earth. Um, it's, it's a beautiful calling. It's a profound calling and it speaks so loudly to a world that thinks we don't care about them. Um, God so loved the world, not God was said the world was going to burn anyway. So here's your ticket to heaven.
1: Right. God so loved the cosmos is the Greek there. Yes. Right. (laughs) The
0: universe, the entire thing. And, Really, it's it's been becoming a birder in the last few mm-hmm. years of my life that has pushed me more into care for the earth. And, you know, I, I was talking to some friends five years ago and I said, I think, you know, 20 years from now, I'm going to get into birding. And one of them was a real birder. And he said, there will not be the same birds in 20 years. And that yeah. was my first moment of, oh, oh, wow, wow. like this is happening. And especially for some of these fragile species, the ones that migrate really far, a couple degrees of temperature means they have to migrate sooner and they won't Mm -hmm. have the body weight they need to make it there. And it's it's a it's a pressing issue. And and for the listeners of our podcast who may be more into birds than the environment, you cannot separate the two. That's right. Um, they are they are infinitely connected, intimately connected. And every every insect species that falters is going to affect the birds, and every degree of warming is going to affect the birds. And right. you know, even if it's not just for our own self-preservation that we need to get on this, mm-hmm. um, look at the birds. Jesus told you to.
1: Yeah. They need, that's right. they need our
0: help. <laughs> Do you so you're there in, in Western Michigan? Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite Michigan bird, Kyle?
1: Oh man, I knew you were gonna ask this, and I knew I was gonna get outed. So I, <laughs> I um, I am an aspiring birder. We respect um, I, it. You have a lot you. on
0: your plate, sir. You got young kids and thank a world to change. So <laughs>
1: Thank you. So I a couple of years ago, um, I kind of went went on my first real birding experience and I loved it. And I you know, I asked for binoculars for the next Christmas and
0: That's I the had, gateway I, drug. That's, that's right. how people I, start. I, I,
1: I had all the best intentions, but I, I will say, um, I think one of the really cool things about Michigan, particularly Eastern Michigan, I I lived in Ann Arbor for Mm. a, a little bit while my wife was getting her social work degree from U of M and, um, close by in Pinckney, um, there is a stopover, um, during the warbler migration every year. And, um, that is one of the coolest experiences um, to, to go to that park. Um, and you, I mean, there's thousands of, of warblers who, who stop over. Um, so I, I think I will say um, the migratory warblers, when, when they make their way through Michigan, of all sorts, um, are, are some of my favorite birds to enjoy here in Michigan.
0: You can't beat warblers. You yeah. really can't. They're yeah. they're the coolest. The they're tropical so cute. tropical fish of the birding world. That's right. <laughs> um, so Kyle you you do this really heavy work and you get a lot of bad news and you're the one who is reading those UN reports and mm. and I'm sure keeping they keep you up at night sometimes and also you're at this intersection of, you know, science and the church and they don't always play well together. They don't always think they're on the same team even though they really are and they can be um where do you personally find hope? Because you do a lot of hard, heavy work. Yeah. Where does your hope come from?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Um, a good therapist, in part.
0: <laughs> um, Big believer in that.
1: Yes. That's that's been important for me, particularly after we had our second son, um, because there is a lot of grief uh, that that goes into being a parent in the world that we live in now. Um, so that that's been important for me. Um, I'll say too, uh, like one, of, one of the unique challenges of doing this work for a living is, yeah, I, I do have to live in some of that bad news. Um, but I also get to have a front row seat to all of the amazing people and things, uh, that are working and happening in the church, uh, across the country right now. So, Right now, uh, we are in the thick of planning um, our second annual event that we're hosting just outside of Indianapolis on Earth Day. It's called Indie Creation Fest. Mm. And it was born out of just some volunteers from a few churches that we had been building relationships with um, who got together and said, what can we do here in our community um, to make a difference? And last year, they, they hosted essentially like an open house style fair event with rescue animals to be pet, like pot-bellied pigs, um, electric vehicles that you can look at and and test drive, uh, local vegan food trucks, um, all kinds of sustainability organizations and businesses, um, just like out on on a church lawn hanging Mm -hmm. out. Uh, And uh, last year we were like, hey, if we have 75 – people come that'd be awesome and we had over 260 um, just from the community and this year we're hoping for 500 and we Mm. have over 25 vendors that have signed up um and this is just like eight or so volunteers who got together and had this idea and did it and it's taking off uh and and there's a hunger in the community for it that is so obvious people the feedback after last year was like this was so fun it was so nourishing it was so encouraging to meet other Christians that are concerned about this and who, who would come out to something like this. Um, so that's awesome. When I was working at Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, I think one of the best things we did was our fellows program. We we had college fellows on campuses across the country every single year that would start clubs. They would get composting implemented on campus. They would get solar panels put up on buildings on their campus. They would push their administration to adopt pledges to become net zero. Um, And uh, every single year we had, um, you know, about a dozen, one year we had two dozen uh, young Christians around the country um, who are standing up and leading in their communities because they understand that this is important. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, So just... Being able to to watch them do what they do and and play my part in training and facilitating training them and facilitating their experience that it's just such an honor and and I, all of that and I could share so many other examples all of that um, gives me so much hope because mm-hmm. even even though I do have to read those reports and I, I have to follow the headlines every day. I also get to see stuff that not everybody gets to see either. Mm. Um, all of the amazing things that are happening all over the country in in countless churches and college campuses that are just really encouraging about how the church is waking up um, mm. and and reclaiming our responsibility and our role um, to uh, lead in this area of protecting God's creation.
0: Mm. You you have a front row seat to the the horror and the threat yeah. but you also have a front row seat to a lot of the hope.
1: Yeah, that's right
0: that's a beautiful thing are there any tips you have so I'm a pastor and I'm here at my church and yeah. one of the challenges we face is kind of a generational breakdown of mm. um, the younger folks are super passionate about this many of them but some of our older folks are a little hesitant or they think mm. oh that's a liberal political issue that's an issue you know and 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 many of them have more conservative politics and yeah. it breaks my heart that this has become such a political partisan issue because it really is a stewardship issue it's a yeah. it's a gospel issue do you have any advice for how to bridge those conversations should we just shout down and tell them how wrong they are would that be effective
1: (laughs) it's an idea give it a try and get back to me tell me how it goes
0: no i want to keep my job
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's such a good question and it's it's so hard like i I wish i had a a checklist like do these three things and it's gonna work no matter what um so much of it is contextual and it's it it matters like what kind of community you have and Um, what the relationships are like. But I I will say broadly, um, things that I've seen be successful um, is when there's genuine curiosity covering Mm -hmm. the conversation. Um, And not, not a cynical curiosity that's like trying to um trick people into feeling like they're welcome into the conversation but you really have an agenda and and you're
0: <laughs> People love we, that. They right? respond
1: so well to that. We can all sniff that out from a mile away. Um but genuine curiosity about people's experiences, mm-hmm. um about how people have come to what they believe about this. Um I think starting conversations there Uh, it it can be really effective toward building bridges and building trust because so quickly people's walls can go up when it comes to these conversations. And I I think one of the most effective ways to bring walls down is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so even, uh, if it's like a really low stakes conversation, listening session, um, where people are just welcome to, um, share their perspective free of judgment, um, Everybody understands that they're welcome there. Their perspective is welcome there. No one's going to challenge what they have to say. We're simply going to learn from each other. Um, I had a, a professor in seminary who said that the number one job of a pastor is to be curious. Mm. And I think that... I that would a ju- word. That's, isn't it?
0: That's great.
1: And I would just extend that, extend that to the whole church. I think the number one, maybe not the number one job, a very important job of Christians... Um, especially in community with each other, is to be curious. Be curious mm. about each other and our experiences. Mm. Um, and the beauty is when you're when you're genuinely curious, and when you listen long enough, someone is going to tell them what's important to them, mm. uh, or they're going to tell you what matters to them, the things that motivate them, and it's those things that can be the bridge toward a shared understanding because when people can grasp that climate change can be about more than just Al Gore and the woke liberal agenda, but it can be about protecting their kids from asthma attacks. It can be about Making sure that the deer that they love to hunt or the salmon that they love to fish are going to be around for them to be able to do that. Um, When when people understand that this is about preserving the things that are important to them and and the stuff that matters to them and to the people that they love – That's when I've seen real progress happen. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can only get there if you're curious first, because somebody has to tell you what's important to them before you can help them understand how climate change connects to what's important to them. Um, So uh, that's the theory, what that looks like in practice. Uh, Again, I I wish I had a silver bullet for you, but... um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, you can facilitate those conversations and cultivate curiosity in both directions. I should say, like young people should be curious about why older folks are um, tend to be more reticent about this, and older folks should be curious about why young people are so on fire about this, because mm. we can both learn from each other
0: and curiosity connects so naturally to both humility which is mm-hmm. you know a, a virtue that we all need to cultivate but also it connects to wonder yeah. you know the and whimsy and kind of this <laughs> this posture of of learning and excitement toward the world and curiosity is what got me into birding it's what gets many of us out into nature and yeah. to practice that same curiosity with one another that we do with, you know, what's the movie I'm going to watch this week and what's hanging out in my yard. And that, that's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful word. I think on, on every level in the church with climate change, but also with different political opinions, different yeah. theological opinions, differences, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a woman in ministry and not everyone is for that. Mm-hmm. And I can come in all bristly or I can come in with it. You know, tell me about that. I, yeah. I grew up in a church that doesn't ordain women. I, I understand a little bit of where you're coming from, but you yeah. know, tell me about that. And, we can learn from each other even when we don't come to fundamental agreement in the end. Yes. Um, and it can build empathy, which is something that can give us all a little bit more hope of connection and progress.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Progress That's the good, so good and so important. You're absolutely right.
0: Kyle, thank you so much for the gift of your time. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Everyone, check out "Following Jesus in a Warming World." I will link to it in the show notes. It is a beautiful book. It is a really thoughtful, deep read, but also it's an easy read. It's it's beautifully written. It's out with University uh, Press. Check out the book. I'll link to Kyle and his and his website and his resources. What would you like to leave us with today, Kyle?
1: Uh, I guess I'll leave you with this. So um, we we've talked about this already, but I, I'd love to just put a a final point on it. Um, I don't do this work because I am a Democrat or a Republican. I don't do this work even because I consider myself an environmentalist. Um, I do this work and I am passionate about it because I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And I I think that is my invitation that, that you, you don't need to feel like you have to change anything about who you are. Um, to get involved in this or to be curious about this topic. Um, You can be exactly who you already are because that's exactly who uh, you need to be to be engaged in this. And that's exactly who the world needs you to be, to be engaged in this conversation. Um, and, and, And I hope that as Christians, we can all just try to follow after Jesus together. And that is what is going to pull us into God's creation more. That's what's going to pull us into the halls of power um, to to call for just legislation that will protect God's creation and our vulnerable neighbors. Not anything else, just Hmm. Jesus.
0: You sound like a pastor. (laughs)
1: <laughs> in my spare time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in all of the spare
0: time that you have. Thank you so much, Kyle. Everyone check out check out Kyle's resources and, and get your hands on a copy of his book. It is an encouraging read. On its way through lament, it will land you in hope and some real practical tips and practical conversations. Um, Kyle is concerned about climate change, not because he's a Democrat or a Republican, <laughs> but because he's a follower of Jesus. And we can all learn something from that. Thank you so much, Kyle.
1: Thanks, Courtney. This was fun.
0: The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. So is it that